Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to your malt mates at Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. Beer is a Conversation is our weekly sit-down with some of the people who make the beer industry the interesting and dynamic thing that it is. And through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. Welcome to a very special Beer is a Conversation, our last for 2019, a live chat with Stone & Wood co-founder Brad Rogers, recorded at Brisbane's My Beer Dealer. It's fair to say that Brad is a legend. That's a title that can sometimes be overused or used far too lightly, but if it wasn't just for creating Pacific Ale, arguably the most influential new beer of the last 20 years, Brad would still be revered as a brewer. This is a wonderful long chat with Brad about so much that is going on in the beer world at the moment, but also about the beers that he is creating now at his Stone and Woodside project, Forest for the Trees. As with the previous Live From My Beer Dealer, this was a rare podcast recorded with beer in hand. Regular listeners will know that we avoid the sip and discuss style podcast, and so parts of the chat about the specific beers have been edited out for the benefit of the podcast listener. Thanks to Antoinette, Matt and Les at My Beer Dealer for hosting us, and especially Geordie from Square Keg for setting everything up. We will be recording more live chats there, so please let us know how the live chat translates to this podcast and we can continue to improve how we do it. Enjoy this conversation. It's I thought it was a fascinating and epic conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Thanks very much to uh, my beer dealer. Uh, welcome to a special edition of uh, Beer as a Conversation. And my guest is a, a, someone who not many people will have heard of, um, Brad Rogers, um, who started g'day a little... Uh, g'day, Brad. Welcome. Well, big round of applause for Brad. Now, as I said, Brad, you're probably not a household name in, in, in the beer industry. You, you've worked for a couple of small little brewing companies uh, Matilda Bay. Um, back in the day. Back in the day. Um, well, it, it got smaller and smaller. Smaller um, and smaller. After you left. Yep. Um, and Stone and Wood. Um, mm-hmm. And today we're really here to talk about your. Is it a side project? Is it a. Uh, is it a. Yeah, you could say it's a little side project, but yeah, it's not just me in there. So there's a few people out there helping me get these beers out. So, but it is still under the Fermentum, you know, group of uh, breweries. So, yeah. Before we go to that, um, just to keep it topical and newsworthy, we recently saw Phil Sexton step in back in to take the helm of Matilda Bay. Um, you spent uh, a, a good decade working for Matilda Bay. I was in there, yeah, probably just a little under a decade, you know, in the early 2000s. And when we actually resigned from the big empire, I was the head brewer at Matilda Bay. And yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of conversations over the years, right back uh, right back uh, when I first started in beer. You know, I'd met Phil and we'd sort of kept in touch, you know, quite regularly and working right through the Matilda Bay days. I mean, you know, it's Phil, so you're actually sort of, you know, uh, brewing the beers that he started. So, yeah, have a pretty good relationship with not only Phil, you know, there's Nick and Howard uh, back in the Matilda Bay days as well. Obviously, Phil gets all the kudos probably. When you think back to that time, and I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic here because you've always been very um, circumspect about your time. You, you, you refer to it as the big, as the empire, or the sometimes the, 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 the big evil house. empire. <laughs> but at the same time, you, Jamie and Ross, met there, and you left there yeah. to, to to form your own business. So I, yeah. I, I imagine that there were certain frustrations working in Matilda Bay. 
Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, not so much frustrations, but, you know, at the end of the day, I started with the Empire in 94, you know, worked through CUB uh, in Sydney, went across to Fiji, came back to Sanctuary Cove, and then, uh, you know, uh, with Jamie Roscoe and a a few others uh, still in the industry out there. We sort of put the Matilda Bay team back together and then led that on a really cool little uh, ride. And we're, you know, Matilda Bay uh, jumped back, you know, up into, you know, a brand of beers that were pretty interesting. And you've got to go back, you know, 10 plus years, well, geez, quite a few years now. That was probably about 2004, four, five, three or four. Geez, getting old. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> Happy 50th I mean, for but, August, but, by the way. Just back on your point there, Matty, you know, I mean, I did start in uh, 94 with CUB in Sydney and I loved every minute of it. And I know that that probably sounds really, really odd, but I got to learn how to actually brew beer. I got to learn the mechanic of brewing from a very, very large company that must be doing something right. But, you know, there was always just something in amongst all that that just didn't kind of sit right with me. I always wanted to go and, you know do those little different things and that's what we were able to do through the Matilda Bay days and I studied winemaking had a really good understanding of wine and really just wanted to bring beer and wine you know uh, to the fore. I, I know that uh, you're the head brewer or you, you were the head brewer for yep. Stone and Wood uh, more so from the business side but do you look at in, in that role do you look at the landscape that you're operating in when you're devising a beer or is that a yeah so it's certainly you know back in the day i mean everyone probably had a the odd pacific ale or two you know going back then i mean you've got to think back 10 11 12 years when we were just designing that beer the galaxy hop didn't really exist you know doing beers like pacific didn't really exist at all so yeah between jamie roscoe and i we really put the black pointy hat on and Wanted to do something completely different that challenged a lot of people. Happy that we did everything that we did. Wouldn't change one thing along the way. Yeah, and, you know, now Pacific Ale, you know, call it a style. Don't call it a style, but just call it a beer. And all we're really trying to do is just brew the best possible beer we can. The, the landscape's changed uh, quite a bit since uh, Stone and Wood launched. I, I think you guys... Actually, I might get in trouble with Gage Roads if I call you the largest independent... Uh, brewery, but you're certainly one of the. But we are. <laughs> are you? So you... yeah. How do you define independent? So publicly listed or? Well, because we own it. There's four of us that own. Yep. Uh, you know uh, the the fermentum group, but let's call it Stone and Wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So four of us that own eighty percent. You know we've got a whole bunch of uh, you know independent uh, shareholders out there as well, uh, and we love them because they helped us get to where we've got to back in the day. And so a, a publicly listed business isn't independent no. or? Oh, no, I mean, different models, different okay. everything. I mean, it's not us versus, uh, you know, them. Yep. At the end of the day, you go to Chinatown because there's a selection of Chinese restaurants. We're very happy to walk into a bottle shop and, you know, we want to make sure that there's choice out there. Uh, you know, some of those choices are real choices, some aren't. You, and I don't want to circle around it, but you guys, you guys worked for the Empire. Um, you we left, did. you started up uh, something at a time when Matilda Bay was probably floundering, um, despite your best efforts, despite yeah, the best oh, efforts of. No, let's go back because when, when the three of us, well, ended up being six or seven of us within a very large, you know, business, 
really, uh, you know, set foot on putting, you know, Matilda Bay and the beers like Redback, Dog Bolter, and coming from what we were doing up at Sanctuary, down at Sanctuary Cove from here, you know, you had Alpha Pale Ale, Bees Knees. We put all those beers together you know, and reinvigorated Matilda Bay. And pretty much when we went to go off and, you know, uh, set stone and wood up, you know, Matilda Bay was sitting on top of craft in the country. So, yeah, it wasn't, oh, when we left, it wasn't floundering. It was actually gunning. Sorry, I uh, wasn't. I was conflating a, a period then. You guys, it, it never had full focus within CUB. Um, once you not. guys left and the direction that you gave it, it very much lost direction and now it's basically a shoulders for frothy to sit on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, I mean, we've got our problems. They've probably got theirs as well. You know, that's their problem. How, how do you feel now seeing that business gobbling up a lot of uh, independent breweries that are going to be fighting for taps with the benefit of uh, that business behind them and I guess gunning for stone and wood taps. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we've been real, you know, since we started 10 years ago. I mean, we've, we've ridden that way. When we actually started stone and wood, there was about 35, maybe 40 breweries. There's 700 out there now. So we understand, you know, that there, it is challenging out there. You know, there's a lot of breweries out there now trying to get not an infinite number of taps. So there's only this many taps that you can, you know, get your beer on tap. There's only this much fridge space around the country. So, yeah, I mean, all we want to make sure we're doing across all of our beers is make the very best possible beer we can because we hope that quality stands out. Uh, you know, for us as a business, you know, there's quality and safety. We want people to, you know, enjoy coming to work and go home safely. But you can never completely divorce business, marketing, uh, sales no. teams from a successful business. Um, no way th- in the world. Th- there's a lot of very small breweries making excellent beer yep, that aren't there is. ever going to, to grow. So I- I- is it a challenge to independent breweries, is it a challenge to Stone and Wood to see this sort of money come in to, to the industry and buy out the rising stars of the independent craft beer business? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, People have got the right to make their own decisions and, you know, they've, people have done what they wanted to do. I mean, I'm not sitting in those uh, meetings, so I, I can't talk for those guys. Oh, no, no, well, but I'm asking you to talk for Stone and Wood. Yeah. When, you, you, when you guys sit down and sort of look at the landscape that you're competing in. Yeah, I mean, it is challenging out there, so there's no doubt about that at all. Tell us a little bit about how Forest for the Trees came about. Yeah, I mean, you know... Uh, I think everyone understands out there at the moment, you know, there's so much choice in beer. There's so much uh, innovation going on in beer, probably with my background, you know, a little bit of wine thrown in there as well. You know, so much, uh, you know, going on around the world, you know, with different styles of beer. You know, for Forest for the Trees, it's very much, you know, playing down the farmyard, farmhouse, barrel-aged, wild, uh, you know, uh, different, different yeast, different bacteria, you know, Sometimes we pitch, sometimes we don't pitch yeast. And it's just being able to do things that little bit differently and separately from the likes of stone and wood. We've got fixation, granite belt cider, you know, and our kombucha business. You know, it sits way outside of that and just gives us the ability to play with different bugs, different yeast, different, uh, you know, bacterias. Uh, gives us the opportunity to continually play with good barrels uh, which is nice because we'll get to try some beer that has spent a little bit of time in barrel in a bit. Tell us about the style. What's a, what's a saison to you? Yeah, saison for me, I mean, 
I, uh, I love the Saison style. I mean, for me, it's all about Saison de Pont. I've spent enough, I've spent a lot of time in Belgium, spent a lot of time down in uh, the southern part of Belgium, down where Saison de Pont is. I've spent a day and a half in the brewery with those guys and just not trying to steal anything, just trying to understand what the guys are doing and understand why they're doing it. You know, it's got to be the, got to be the most well-known, uh, you know, Saison, you know, in the world. Uh, I think when most people think Saison, they think Saison de Pont. I actually had a Saison de Pont shirt on uh, earlier this morning down in Byron. I thought, no, that might be just a little bit silly that Mark actually gave me. And I wear that with pride. You know, uh, what we're trying to do here, you know, is a beer in that same genre. You know, Saison for me, when you read all the bits and pieces, you know, it does harp back, to, you know, four or five hundred years, whenever it was, I wasn't around back then. But uh, when that farmhand... You know, uh, tr- sorry, when that farmer tried to get his farm hands to keep coming to work, when they fed him when they fed him and gave him water, the water might have had Guardia or something in there that was actually making the farm hands sick. And these farmers went, hang on a minute, this brewing thing's all about boiling. Maybe boiling will kill all the bugs or kill, or maybe make the water taste better or the beer taste better. So he went to uh, the local farmers. He got some grains because he understood that brewing was all about grain, adding uh, some grains to water, boiling it, you know, hopefully adding some hops. If his other neighbour, you know, had some, he could steal some old hops. The original Saisons, as the old texts go, were all about old hops, but the farmhands knew they weren't brewers, so they went to the... They went to the you know the kitchen cupboard, opened the kitchen cupboard out and grabbed some spices out of the cupboard and add some spices because for and for us they knew that they weren't brewers and they wanted to make sure that they could brew something that tasted better than the neighbour because if, if their beer was better than the neighbour's beer then the farm hands would keep coming back to their property to do the work. Uh, it probably is a little ad lib. It probably is a really cool story, but that's my sort of take, you know, on Saison. There's not a right, there's not a wrong. It's just your, you know, your way of adding some barley, some wheat, a little bit of uh, oats. You know, we add a very small amount of uh, hop in there. That's really, really low uh, bitterness in there. And we do still get the mortar and pestle out for every brew, grind up the, the spices that we add into this uh, beer, uh, very small scale. Uh, up until about two two months back, I brewed every single batch of this on 500 litre kit. Uh, you know, uh, we launched this beer with 80 cartons. Where's Geordie? Where's the bottle? So the 750 ml bottle that you've got there, we launched with. Uh, they come in a six pack box when we actually sell them. We launched with 80 uh, cartons of that. So you know, we're not trying to take over the world with this beer. We really just wanted to again. You know, have a crack at brewing a really cool beer. You know, but on it's a small scale. Permanent lineup now, is it? It's permanent. Yep, it's a permanent beer. And as we move on to, you know, the other guys, they're permanent. But being what they are, I mean, you can't just go click your fingers and hope that you can get another six or eight months, you know, out of a barrel aged beer. So there is about a, there is going to be a length of time between, you know, the the releases of the the barrel aged saison and the and the barrel aged red. Whereas the Saison was something we always wanted to actually have continuously uh, through the year. You, you intimated there that a Saison is a little bit loose, or did you, there, there's, there's a bit of an interpretation. Absolutely. I, I, I love the story of the first Saison that you brewed, which you'd never made a Saison, you'd never tasted a Saison. You read a book about which one chapter was Saisons and thought, yep. gee, I'll have a crack at that. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no real secrets. I think it's been written about. I was sitting uh, on a plane from Melbourne across the WA, going across the big brewery in WA, Matilda Bay Brewery in WA, and I was reading this book just dedicated to Saison. I read this book. I put a put what a was few it called for the aspiring brewers out there? Uh, farm, farmhouse, farmhouse ales. ales. Farmhouse ales. So Saison, so going through a little sort of divert. So you've got Saisons on the Belgian side, you've got Beer de Garde on the French side. Same, same, but different. I mean, they're, they're very, very similar in many, many ways. So heading across to WA on this uh, plane, read this book, made some notes, came back to Melbourne a few days, a week later, whatever it was, wrote the formulation, brewed that beer, put that beer in the World Beer Cup uh, in 2006 and picked up picked up a medal with that beer so yeah pretty happy with that and then pretty much put saisons to bed until 2018 now it's hard to ask this question without just do it man. putting you in a position well i I, I don't want you're already there mate okay well forget these guys are here (laughs) what does it say about you as a brewer that you can and, and your feel for brewing that you can read a book get a feel for a recipe not having tried the end result and create something that's a gold medal beer at the World Beer Cup. See, <laughs> this was what I was wondering how to ask well, the question. I mean, you know, I mean, you read between the lines. You know, you really try and understand what the words were saying with your beer hat on. But the real luxury, I think, when I was back then, uh, is that we understood wine. We understood wine tasting. We understood from a wine hat where they were trying to get to. So I just put that, you know, in front and centre as well. Because uh, I think Saison, in terms of a beer style, is the closest beer that you could possibly get to any wine grape variety. You know, think about, uh, think about you know, Sauvignon Blanc, you know, uh, oh, I wouldn't say Chardonnay, but some of those, you know, lighter, Pinot Gris, Grigio, you know, the Italian French. I mean, because they're... they're so uh, aromatically driven, you know, more with fruit, you know, in some of those wines. Well, this has got a lot of fruit in it, but driven primarily by that spice. And I think the two sit pretty happily together. You know, it does really blur the line between beer and wine. Now, I don't, re- I, I don't like to rely on my taste memory because taste is so subjective and situational, yeah. but from my memory, this version, this particular bottle, is just feels a little bit less spiced than perhaps the first yeah. bottle that came out. I can honestly tell you, hand on heart, honey. Yep. But I'm every- not saying you're dumbing it down or anything <laughs> like that. I, do, I, get, I get the feeling there's an apology not, or... A, no, 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 not, not, not trying to dumb anything down. You've got to remember that every time we do this, we're doing 500 litres of beer. So we can pretty much do whatever we want. Uh, in terms of the recipes, the formulations, you know, what we work through, we're doing everything exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But, you know, different yeasts, sorry, the same yeast on the same tanks with different, slightly different temperatures at different times through that ferment, they have the potential of doing things a little bit differently. And then, you know, you get to the end of ferment, maybe we took the yeast off in the beginning, maybe at the end, you know, so, somewhere that just changed a little. So, yeah, I mean, the beauty is, you know... Nobody's telling me I'm right or wrong. No. You know, it's just the way this particular batch, and I'm, and I'm happy with that because, you know, at the end of the day, you talk to any winemaker, and trust me, next year's vintage is going to be a whole lot better than this year's. So in terms of, <laughs> in terms of these beers, yeah, we, we just want to keep striving, keep changing, keep, keep evolving, you know, just slightly, you know, to make sure that we're actually 
making so, the best beers we possibly can. So, so you are constantly dialing it in. You don't just say oh, that the I, first I, bottle I, was right where we wanted it. No, no. We, I mean, we've tinkered just not so much with spice, but yep. certainly with some of the grain base. You know, we've throttled it back, and that's more a regulatory thing because uh, one of the batches we did just snuck up a little bit in terms of alcohol, and you know that's a really big no-no in this country anywhere, especially well any time. So we actually. We actually did dump a tank because it was a little bit too high in alcohol and rather than just print new labels, we just went, well, I know, it was heartbreaking. But, you know, at the end of the day, humbly, it's 500 litres. I'd rather, I'd rather take that on the chin uh, than all of a sudden, oh, forest for the trees, part of fermentum, sits next to stone and wood. They've got this beer that's supposed to be, you know, 5% and all of a sudden it's 7%. It wasn't quite that bad. But you know what I mean. I mean, at the end of the day, it's small volume. It, it's interesting that you talk that way because one of the things, you know, wine, we're very accustomed to, you make wine once a year, every year is going to be different because of the vintage of the, of the grapes. Beer you can theoretically make every day and so if you're smashing out lager, the expectation is I've got that many, studying winemaking, I've got a lot of very good mates who are winemakers and I actually tell exactly the same story except I say, you know, I can make that beer in the morning and I can actually make another one in the afternoon. <laughs> You know, whereas as a winemaker, you actually have to wait, you know, till next year to make, you know, if you've got, you know, a, you know an acre of Chardonnay and you bring that fruit in, you've got 700 kilos of fruit, you know, you're going to make 550 litres of wine. You're going to put it in a handful of barrels. You get one crack at it. I'm a pretty impatient brewer and I love to be able to play and experiment, you know, with different things. And I think as a brewer, you know, you get to be able to live that every day. But that's one of the, when I think about the difference between beer and wine, that's one of the inherent value differentials between beer and wine is that beer is something that you can smash out every day. So it doesn't have that magic of, you know, once around the sun. But at the same time, you're introducing this idea of variability and that it isn't something that you should expect approach every bottle like the last one. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy for things to improve, like every winemaker will say last year is not going to be sorry it's going to be not as good as next year it, it, do you think that that's an important element in locking value in the perception of beer and, and not having yeah. it become a commodity yeah absolutely i mean you know these are priced a little bit more than your everyday beer uh, that's for a reason you know we want people to actually stick their hand in their pocket which we humbly see people do they jump out there and people spend good money on good beer uh, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that when people are putting their hand in that pocket for that beer, we're actually giving them value for that money, you know, and making sure that we take people on that road. As soon as people actually have a beer that's not exactly what they wanted or what they expected, yeah, that's where it becomes a bit of an issue. Talk to me about uh, things like the Reinheitsgebot, uh, the the beer purity law. Mm-hmm. The Germans... 15-16. 15-16. Um, 15, was it? Because last 15, year was... 503? Was it 16? Yeah, it would have been because... 16, Yeah, there, it was. I was yeah. there for the 500th anniversary. Uh, yeah. But anyway, um, so it was very much about uh, eventually malt, water, hops and yeast. And water, malt, hops and yeast, yep. Um, the, the Belgians have always been willing to add things to it. Yeah. The is, Belgians just looked at the Germans and went, crazy. <laughs> and, but you're very much inspired by the German brewing tradition the in, in, in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, for, for different reasons, you know. I mean, I love, 
a lot of German beers. You know, the road to Munich, we go on every year with our five-year anniversary uh, guys at the brewery. We start in Belgium, work our way around uh, Germany, and we try some of the best beers in the world. I and mean, over the years, we've been doing this a while, we've been able to meet the brewers and the owners of some of these breweries around Germany, we're talking, and Belgium. Yeah, it's kind of pretty cool to be able to take people that have worked with us for five years on that road to Munich, uh, get them to really enjoy some of those styles of beer, you know, Munich uh, beer in Munich, I mean, Hefeweizen in, in Munich, just stunning. I've worked with you for 10 years. I think I should come on next year's. <laughs> I, 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 I think we should we capture some. a dollar some. for everyone ask that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I, I, sure. <laughs> Maybe suppliers might just jump in just before you. <laughs> I'll, I'll remember that. I'll remember that next time I get a Stonewood media release. And, uh, um, <laughs> Do you still get them? <laughs> Sometimes. I don't get them from CUB as much as I once did. Um, <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> <laughs> so... But with a beer like this, with such subtle spicing to, to the beer, and, it, and it's, it's very nuanced, could you uh, play around just with yeast fermentation temperatures and yeast styles yeah. and, yep. and, and get a similar comp complexity? No, I don't think you could. Not With this particular beer, this beer is made from that yeast. I mean, you know, there's some wheat, there's some uh, barley in there. You know, we had really small amount of hop, so there's no real hop aromatic. There's hop balancing, hop bitterness balancing at the back of the palate. But that beer, that base flavour of that beer really comes from the yeast. We actually add the French, the Belgian and the farmyard yeast. We actually add, you know, three yeasts into there because they all add differing complexities into that beer. Um, and I think if you tried to brew that beer with a lager yeast or an ale yeast, you'll get a completely, completely different beer. If, if you took out, and I can't remember whether we uh, had this conversation the, the last time we chatted, but it, if you took out the spices and threw in a lager yeast, this would be close to a Pilsner, is that? Well, we'd have to add a whole lot more hops. Hops, oh, sorry, hops. Um, but yeah, but, the, but again, that's still. the beauty of brewing because you can, yeah, I'm going to pull that, sit that on the bench, Come on, you go out and have a run and yeah, you just make different beers. When you're talking to your winemaker friends, do they think, you know, they nurture a grape and they want the grape juice to be fulfil its destiny? Um, do, do they tease you when you get to sort of throw shit in? Um, oh, yeah. To, to play around? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Got a big shoulders though, man. So big shoulders. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think a good winemaker goes, right, I want to make the best Chardonnay or I want to make the best Pinot or the best sparkling, you know. Yeah, I think you've really got to hone your skills in the wine industry. The beauty in brewing is, you know, we can make Pacific Ale across the brewery. We can make these beers. We make these beers. It's, it's just a little bit easier, a little bit sometimes more complicated and and that's an endless debate between winemakers and brewers on one hand winemakers say i'm given fruit each year and i've got to try and guide it you know i'm, I'm sort of there to sort of help it reach its but whereas brewers are a little bit more like chefs this is what they want to achieve and they've got a whole range of ingredients that they can a add a bunch of palettes they can play with you can play with your water where it's hard or soft you can add different minerals and salts back into your uh, water. It's such a myriad of uh, different grains, whether it be barley, wheat, you know, sorghum, you know, oats. 
God, how many, ho- how many hops are there out there at the moment? Not it, sure. It, and, but all of that is to getting to the flavour that you want to Gives do. you the ability to go, right, I want a head, you know, for this. You know, how do I actually do it? You know, and that's the real skill, I think, you know, being able to pick from different palates, making sure that you get a beer that you as an individual want to drink and making sure that there's people out there that want to drink that as well. I mean, think about Pacific Ale when we actually brewed Pacific Ale. I mean, we loved brewing it, but it was a pretty different beer back in the day and, you know, we wanted to take people on that journey and, yeah, it seems pretty successful. Now, we're about to try the barrel-aged version of the Saison. Talk to me about um, barrel-aging is something that a lot of brewers have been experimenting with increasingly as a way to... um, bring something else to their beer what what does a barrel add to a beer i think you've just summed it up you've actually just answered your own question i think for me what a barrel actually does to any beer whether sorry any beverage really call it a spirit call it wine beer you look at balsamic oil oh sorry balsamic uh, vinegar uh it adds a different complexity to anything that you put that base liquid in uh Back to you know some of the stuff you just said, Matty. You know, there's a lot of people out there, you know, doing beer in barrel. We're not the Lone Ranger. We don't profess to be. There's a lot of people doing a lot of really cool things with beer and barrels. Uh, what I've tried to do with this particular one, remembering that very first beer you had, that saison. This beer is pretty much the, the same base recipe, except we've bumped up the alcohol a bit. That's it. The same spices, the, uh, the same bitterness, but and we've added that beer. Uh, after fermentation, we've added that beer into French oak barrels. Not just any old French oak barrels. The French oak is just white. So the, the wine that were in the barrels was just Chardonnay and the wineries. I mean, as I said, we started winemaking and got a lot of good friends in, in wineries and I made sure that I got exactly the barrels that I wanted and they're all white. So all of these barrels saw no red content. So most wineries will actually roll their white barrels into their red program so i've been able to beg borrow and steal you know a whole bunch of really good very top quality you know french oak barrels uh and put that saison into this because i think that well firstly that i think the french oak adds a really cool sort of uh piece to this and making sure that it hasn't had red in it actually kept the color it's pretty cool. I've not seen a room full of this beer, but it's pretty cool to see that beer looking that colour. Uh, you've got to think that it sat in a barrel for nine months, so it oxidises a little bit. Well, a lot because it's sitting in a barrel. There's no head, no CO2 content, you know, in, in a barrel at all. So it does go through various browning reactions. So it's always going to brown just that little bit. And yeah, I mean, I'm. It's pretty cool, actually, sitting there looking at all that beer. Here's, here's, here's. Uh, apart from the oxidation, what, what else happens to a beer in the barrels? I, 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 do, is, is there yeast, wine yeast, that are sort of adding no, character to it no. or anything like so that? So in these, in these barrels, yeah, no real, no real fermentation at all. There's, we're not, we didn't sour this beer. It's just saison going into a barrel, and we didn't want any sour content there's no brett character there's no bacteria content really there at all we actually kept the barrels quite cold we tried to keep these were all put into a refrigerator container so kept at about 12 degrees so you know not a whole lot of uh you know bacteria yeast are doing a whole lot at that temperature for that long i think what we're really seeing in this uh beer 
is some really nice minty, coconutty sort of characters coming out of that French oak. One thing we did see, and I was underestimated how much, uh, we actually bottled this beer, uh, analysed it, and we didn't print the labels because we weren't 100% sure of all the different contents of what the alcohol was going to be, and we pulled uh, nearly a whole percentage of alcohol out of those barrels into this beer. Just from that Chardonnay, you know, they were three-year-old barrels, so there was enough, you know, latent sort of, you know, fuel left in those barrels, and the alcohol just bumped up a little. So we purposely didn't print the labels. We had this bottled. We then uh, stored it back in the cool containers, dragged it out and labelled it. So is a barrel... um something you can use as a tool where it's not just that yep. the barrel is a just there you put the beer in hmm. and see what happens you it, think it, about all those different barrels you know as a wine maker you've got french oak you've got you know uh american oak now you've got you know so many european countries doing oak i was lucky enough recently to be in italy and the guys are actually trialing this yugoslavian uh you know barrels you know in some of their red wines so a barrel is just another vessel to add complexity into your beer your wine your spirit whatever it might be um then you know the really cool thing is brewers i don't well, i'm sure there's winemakers out there doing it as well <clears throat> you can go and source a whole bunch of barrels that have been uh used you know to mature rum or whiskey or brandy and grab those barrels and then pull them into uh your brewery uh, and they will then start adding completely different complexities to your, to your beer. Uh, I think at the moment we haven't used any spirit barrels in this. Uh, with some of the stone and wood stuff, you know, our, our stone beer that we do once a year, you know, we've started, you know, playing around with our annual release of that beer that's had some, you know, oak content. So, yeah, just different. Will we see a barrel-aged Pacific Ale? <laughs> <laughs> I've learned never to say never. <laughs> but I can honestly tell you, sitting in the brew right now, there is no Pacific Isle sitting in a barrel. But, God, who knows? But, you know, but, but, you know I think no. Uh, but, and that's more, what's the difference? What, what do you look for in a beer to, 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 to put into a barrel? Is yeah. it the alcohol, you know, 4.4? I, I, I think you actually need to think about that I want to put this... I want to put a beer in a barrel. You've actually got to go right back to the mash tun, go, right, I'm going to put this grain bill together. I'm going to get this much alcohol. I'm going to ferment to this alcohol. I'm going to add this, these sort of hops in the hops to get bitterness and then you know various hops to get some aromatic hops in that beer as well. And if I do that with an intent of putting it into a barrel, I'm probably going to be looking at that beer completely differently whether I wasn't going to put in a barrel. So they're two different products. And I think that's where, you know, that's where the fun comes. So you don't see a dichotomy approach where you just make a beer, bottle it, put the same beer into to barrel and, you know, presenting those as two... Oh, you know, I mean, you can. I mean, different people of... Well, different brewers have done exactly that. Yeah, for sure. Um, we, we've played around, you know, at hop harvest time where we've actually got, you know, Pacific sitting there and we've raced down to the hops... You know, got a whole bunch of Galaxy Hop, brought them back and wet hopped, uh, you know, Pacific Ale. And that actually only came, that beer actually only came to Brisbane. Huey, when was that? How long ago? Okay. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> Listening. <laughs> he's, he's riveted. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> but no, but we, we, we've done that. Uh, we, yes. We, 
we did a couple of years ago where we actually brought those hops straight back to the brewery. The beer was ready. The beer was transferred in the morning into the bright beer tank, straight into uh, straight into the bright beer tank went these fresh hops and. Yeah, and then that beer was then racked the following morning and brought up to Brisbane. Um, Stonerwood is 11 years old now, recently celebrated your 11th birthday. Yep. Um, when you started, in a lot of ways you launched Galaxy Hops on, on, on the market. They'd yeah. been around for a while, they'd been tinkered with. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, Timmy Lord very, very well. We're very, very good friends. So Timmy Lord, <clears throat> pretty much uh, out there running Hop Products Australia, and then uh, we were trying to put, you know, Pacific R together and come across, well, I knew about the, the Galaxy Hop. And Galaxy Hop and Stone and Wood and HPA have all kind of grown up together. And Pacific R, sorry. So we've all kind of grown up together. So our beer, their hop, their business and our business. Now you go back 10 or 11 years and... Yeah, it was a different landscape of uh, beer and hops out there. I mean, now the boys down in Tasmania and Victoria are planting a lot of galaxy hops. I mean, it's a hop that's just gone nuts around the world. But there's a, a that's the thing, it, it um, appears in a lot of beers. Um, I, I, would, I would not say that it was passe or anything like that, but would you ever see Pacific Ale perhaps tinkering with a, a couple of other hops or coming out with a beer like... Pacific Ale, mm. to kind of stay ahead of the market or...? No, we just come up with a different beer, mate. So it, it, it's, it's that simple. If, if God no, forbid, I, I, Pacific Ale ever ran its course... Pacific Ale is Pacific Ale. I think people understand what that is. Uh, yeah, we've no, no plans to change what that <laughs> is. I mean, crikey, just don't touch it. What was it about Galaxy Hops that you saw... <laughs> that you saw the potential that at that stage the the big brewers certainly didn't see and no one else mm. had really identified at that stage. The really cool thing with Galaxy is you can actually walk out, you know, into the fields, pull some hops off the, the binds in there, rub the hop, and you can actually smell what that hop is going to smell like in the beer. And I know that sounds really silly, but with a lot of hops, a lot of people go out and they rub their hands together and, you know, ooh and ah about it. But you don't really get that in the final beer in many, many hops. Whereas Galaxy, you actually smell that real tropical fruit, you know, passion fruit, mango character in the field. And, you know, the way we actually, you know, work with that hop in Pacific Isle, uh, it's just a pretty cool hop that you can see it in the, you know, in the field and see what you've saw in the field in the glass. Are you seeing any hop varieties come through that are exciting you as much as that did? Yeah, there's a hop out there that only has numbers at the moment. I'm sure Timmy and OJ will be listening to this. I mean, 016 is a hop. It doesn't have a name yet. I think it does have a name. It's about to be launched uh, as something. Uh, so that 016, you know, we've played around with that for a little while as well. Uh, Keel and our uh, head brewer in the brewery now, Keels and I were, have spent a lot of time down in the hop fields and this hop... Is quite exciting. Have, have any of your commercial beers been released with 016? I don't think so. I mean, you know, we've, we've tinkered around in, you know, in a little brewery uh, down in Byron, uh, but yeah, not, not, nothing uh, on any scale. You can't get it because it's such a brand new hop. So have you locked in your contracts for when, when they've got a name on it? Because <laughs> The beautiful thing with having, you know, you know, people like, you know, Keels and Benny across the business, you know, 
I'm sure that the boys are talking much more in much more commercial detail than maybe I am with those boys. Okay, so I'll, Tim I'll and I love going fishing. I'll, I'll take that as a yes. Um, would, would HPA ever say no to you after you uh, launched Galaxy for them? Would, would uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they've got a business to run. So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll lock in some contracts, I'm sure, because you just want to make sure that if you actually do something, you, you've got the longevity of what you think that beer can become actually that, that's an interesting question we've, we've got some brewers here and uh, aspiring brewers when you're you, he's not listening no <laughs> he's not a brewer either <laughs> um, when you've got a beer that is so dependent on a particular hop mm-hmm. how important is it to make sure you've got supply of that hop and get your projections for growth because Stone and Wood went on a pretty um, ridiculous um, growth, yep. growth and yeah, making I mean, sure you had access because no hops, no beer. We're making an awful lot of beer and you know, 90, what, two, 93% of it is Pacific Ale and 100% of that beer is Galaxy. So yeah, you don't want to run out. The really cool thing that HPA have done is you have uh, crops of that in Tasmania and crops of that in Victoria uh, you know, they're very, very similar, very similar hops, you know, from one to the other. I can't pick the difference. I'm sure there's people out there that, you know, probably think that they can. So we've been able to make sure that not only from our supply, but from the HBA side, they can continually supply hops as well. We do have contracts and we've got, geez, we're out to five-year contracts with that. That's how important having that, that access to that hop is for that beer. It's interesting you said that, you know, Victorian versus Tasmanian hops, um, you, you can't pick the difference I can't. For, for your purpose. Maybe I'm getting old. Well, no, and, but out of, well, I'd, I'd trust your palate more than I'd trust mine, but out of the US, there's a lot of talk about early, mid and late harvest um, of the same hop, even from just yeah. blocks that are a mile away people actually choosing yep. block by block. And that doesn't sound like it's something that you put much store in. No, I just don't. I just don't. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, if you walk up, you know, if you walk up the field and you really love that hop and you love that hop and you think, oh, can I make sure of that one? These hops all get put into, you know, the mechanic of, of processing these hops. And if you think you're going to separate that little bit out to the next lot, I think you're dreaming. I mean, I think entirety, you make sure you actually look at, you know, a cross-section of all of the hops. That might be more meaningful. But yeah, no, I don't put a lot into that. I, I don't spend a lot of time going through, you know, individual hop uh, crops every year. The, the other thing I um, just heard you say was 92% of your production is stone and wood is pacific ale so i was going to say uh, stone and wood because that's pretty much how it's known and that's how ubiquitous how you know when you're looking at business risk how much are you aware that you're relying so much on one product yeah i mean it's you know it is uh part of the puzzle you know we've got other brands now that are you know coming through i mean green coast has had an amazing couple of years you know we've got our garden ale doing really really well you know jasper continually does well uh we've also got you know sitting out there you know beers like this you know we've got the fixation sitting there so yeah i mean uh they're doing at the well end of the day, but they're still on the eight percent yeah but from, but, from but, what you were but saying. we're making sure that you know our focus is certainly on you know 
the whole group of bears, but you know, a lot, a lot of emphasis goes into what Pacific Hale is. Uh, not, not, not forgetting about yeah. it, but it, it has to be looked after. Uh, but we do have a lot of uh, you know, time for the other bears as well. Um, just on a personal note, I'm doing my bit um, to even that I drink a lot more lager these days than I do of the Pacific Green Coast. Yeah, so me too. Beautiful I mean, beer. The Green Coast. Yeah, I mean, it's always, Green Coast was always sort of the you know the forgotten child. I mean, it's you know it's a well, I've got to say it, but I mean it is a fantastic beer. You know, Hellas in style. It's just lovely. And this might be something I should throw to Huey instead of uh, yeah. instead of you. I told her there was three CT, <laughs> Huey. <laughs> but it, it, and, I mean that that must be a challenge because Pacific Ale is the beer that is you know uh, if there, if there's a tap that's not locked in or if there's a tap it's going to be Pacific Ale. No, not necessarily because I think you know I mean I think the drinker out there is you know evolved as well and you know the different beers different occasions so yeah. I think people, especially with Green Coast, people are understanding how good good lagers can be, which is really kind of cool. You know, I think people's perception of lager isn't what it is today, wasn't what it was today. What is it about that? Have lagers gotten better or have yeah. we matured in our view? No, I think, I think lagers have got better, but I think people's brewing skill have got better. Uh, people understand that you just have to make great beer. Uh, people ask a lot of people a lot of questions, and I think that's a beautiful thing in the industry at the moment. We've obviously got the obviously we've got the you know Independent Brewers Association. It's doing really well. It charters you know across all forms of you know the beer business. One of them being quality, uh, and I think there's just a really nice voice out there. If people are a bit unsure, oh, you know, you know, if they think there might be a problem with that, or there's just so many people out there that you can ask different questions to confidentially or not i mean i think the really cool thing not just with our beer but just interesting beer across you know the genre of beer now it's actually been scratched the service of you know younger god i feel old the younger generation that you know just people from all, all different walks you know different ages not just not just young men not just old men not just men women out there i think i think there's a real dare i say it, a real thirst for really interesting beer that excites people aromatically, what it, also what it looks like. I mean, you look at different there say, red beers and you've got rosé styles of beers now as well. You know, it's got a look really cool in that glass. I just think there's so much choice out there. There's so many people out there actually wanting to make sure that there's choice as well. So as brewers, you know, I think we need to uh, you know, understand what the drinker actually wants. That raises a good question, though, because it's something that, uh, like you, I turned 50 this year. Um, <laughs> you're older than me, though. Um, but <laughs> August, September. Um, <laughs> um, but one of the things that I've become increasingly aware of is that you know I've really became passionate about beer in my late 20s, early 30s. And for the last 20 years, I've been writing about it. But there is a whole different generation um, that's in, in, in that stage now, and they want very different things, and their values are very different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how hard is it as, as a brewer um, who, again, started brewing, uh, fell in love, and pushed boundaries in your late 20s to now being 50 and trying to be down with what the kids are into? 
Yeah, that's it's a great question, but a really, really easy answer. You know, we've got God, we've got 150 odd people in the brewery. We've got 20 plus brewers working across the breweries, mainly here on the east coast. I don't profess to know everything about every new style of beer and every new beer that's being launched out there and released out there. Uh, we want, you know, these younger guys, these kids coming through. You know, we have so much excitement across the brewery. You know, you're always being asked, oh, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? This style, that style. You know, to me, that kind of keeps me a little young in a way. What we have done in, you know, in our brewery, we actually have this uh, beer round table where you know a very small you know group of us just sit around and really just have a look at what's going on in this country around the world in beer in what's going on in beer and then all of that information flows from across the brewery you know whether you're reading about it whether you're you know god we've got uh, how many i don't know i'll lose count probably maybe the 15 15 out of those 20 uh brewers are probably brewing at home so they're actually brewing all these uh you know different uh styles of beers as well and you know we have this uh, little uh, group or uh, it's a it's kind of a fun little club in the brewery the league of extraordinary brewers and uh you'd you'd know uh pops or you'd know uh neil Witten, and neil uh runs that and every month or two you know neil sends out these emails and, you know, we're going to look at this style of beer. And the guys go out and then they create these different styles of beer. Uh, we have these really big tastings across the group where one of those beers gets selected. Uh, it then goes on to get brewed in the small brewery in Byron and then goes on tap. So, again, it, that just drives a bit of fun, drives a bit of excitement in beer as well. Uh, it's not just me, honestly. I think everyone knows it's not just me sitting there going, geez, put the black pointy hat on. And it gets me out of bed because uh, I love going in there and you know talking to some of the young guys out there because they're just across so much more about what's happening in you know the new world of beer than, than we certainly are now you know we're probably in that older dare I say, uh, generation but some of these guys and they've got their own little groups you know outside of the brewery where they're all brewing together or they're reading and learning together and to me that's kind of fun. I love it. But if it was that easy, um, you know, music companies wouldn't come and go as, you know, styles change. You know, uh, the the band, the, the labels that released the big uh, bands of the '80s um, came crashing down in the 2000s when the the music style as managers got on. If it was that easy to just listen to what the kids are saying. Um, you know, businesses wouldn't go. Where do you know? Where do you guys uh, learn or to develop um, the, the business practices that let you constantly renew? Yeah, I mean that, that's a whole different you know part of the business as well. You know, we've always tried to do things a little bit differently. I mean, I'm sure you remember Jamie Roscoe and I sitting on the chair, the stool, and the beanbag. That was kind of fun times. We have what we call the road to Munich, as we went through before. So yeah, we've always tried to do things just that little bit differently within the brewery, but also across the business. That is our beer business as well. So yeah, I mean, we don't sit still. There's a whole lot of uh, pretty cool, interesting things going out there. And you know, I mean, we've you and I have spoken about Jamie in the past. I mean, you know, strategically, you know, uh, got to be the best beer thinker in this country, hands down. Yep. But even like the road to Munich is pretty old school um, because you're going and trying ancient styles, you know, to, to try and stay up with what the. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't you do the road to Portland but, these days? Or? But, the lu- but the luxury of you being able to say that there's a whole bunch of people coming through the brewery 
I mean, we take people on the road to community that don't have passports. They've got to get their passport. So to be able to do that, you know, with guys in our business, that's kind of pretty cool. Yep. Help them through the, you know, getting passport process, actually being with them, getting on their first international flight, that's kind of pretty cool. You know, and getting out there and just going on that tour, you know, sure, we get to try old style old styles of beer but you know they're made so beautifully and so perfectly it's not just about that it's just the community that that particular year you know has to offer i mean we went the first year with you know stevie blick you know then there was three here we was part of the second group on the next on that year second half the lock. business is going isn't it yeah, like, is, we, yeah i think there was seven this year we took 14 there's 20 next year and for, for jamie roscoe and i it's such a highlight of the year what what we have seen, and I think you can actually smell and taste it in that beer, we want to try and make sure, because we've got a few barrels now, that the Chardonnay, usually Chardonnay, probably always Chardonnay, that's been in there, has gone through the MLF character help process. Though so in Chardonnay, you convert the malic acid to lactic acid, acid by a bacteria, and that all happens in the barrel. Uh, and I think you can actually start to see a part of that come through in that, uh, in that beer as well. Is that a butteriness? It, it, it creates itself? a butteriness. Uh, in, in, in a lot of good Chardonnays, a really small undertone of you know, diacetyl butteriness is good. I mean, in beer, you, you stay away, away from it. But I think once you've actually put a beer in a barrel for nine months, you know, you're, not, you're not getting full-blown diacetyl, but you're getting, I mean, for me, it is that almost that coconut character out of there. What I was a bit blown away, because I, I hadn't tried this beer for a little while when I was saying I was in Sydney last week. I was a bit blown away by the, the mintiness, the pepperminty-ness of that beer. Is, is it a, a, a case of just like food matching with the beer you want a, a similar intensity? You wouldn't put a, a fairly delicate beer like a Saison into a spirit barrel which, which would almost run no. over the top of it? Um, exactly. Is that a fair answer? So yeah. Chardonnay is a little bit more... Yeah. Uh, uh, um, a bit softer, a little bit more delicate. Affinity more affinity with the base beer? Hmm. Yep. So something like a stone beer or a bigger stout would go into spirits? You, you need something a bit bigger, a bit richer, just a bit bolder, really. Whereas the delicateness that is Saison, you know, I think needs a really delicate oak character. Tell us about the next beer, because this is one that I'm genuinely... It, it's, it's a style... Saison is probably my favourite style, but in, in terms of getting excited about the barrel-aged red ale or the, uh, is one of my favourites. So talk, talk us through this one. Wow, it's pretty bloody cool seeing that in a glass as well. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Just the colour, just the colour of that. So purposely brewed to be a really nice deep red character. A lot of beers in Belgium, you know, go through a, a souring process. This unashamedly is... Uh, you know, modelled, but not, not to the nth degree, modelled on, you know, the Flanders Reds, the Rodenbacks. You know, I'm pretty good friends with Rudy over in Rodenback. You know, I spent I don't know how many days over there with Rudy. Does everyone know Rudy Herkia from Rodenbach? Rodenbach is a brewery about an hour and a bit uh, to the west of um, Brussels. The last time I was there was January this year. Rudy goes, yeah, yeah, just come on, I'll meet you out there, no worries. It was snowing this day. Yeah. I've got off the train and it's only about 900 metres from the train station around to the brewery and I'm walking. I was loving it. You could not have got the smile off my face. It was sort of just lightly snowing and here I am walking, you know, from the train station. Rousselaer is the town. Uh, Rousselaer into Rodenback. Ah, oh, it was just such a cool experience. Uh, not... 
to plug the podcast or anything, but back in June... Go on, mate. Go for it. Go, um, go. I interviewed Rudy, and it was one of my all-time favourite podcasts. And actually, at the end of it, he, when he sat down, he reached into his bag and put this little bit of wood on, on the table in front of him and just sort of patted it. And I sort of thought... Oh, it, it, it's kind of like a security blanket or like it's his little bit of home. So when he's sort of been grilled and I just sort of sat there looking at this bit of wood the whole time. As, 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 as he I is such him. a good man. But at the end of it, he sort of handed it across to me and sort of said, this is for you. And there was a bit of wood with a screw in. And I was sitting here going, gee, thanks. And then he sort of went on and said that um, whenever they retire a one of their um, barrels, um, one of the furters, they cut it up and he'd noticed that the, um, the, the the brewers all had little bits of wood just with a screw in it that he opened as a um, bottle opener. Um, so, but he sort of said, oh, this, so this is... opener. Yeah, so nice it's a hundred-year-old um, further that they've just sort of taken a slice out of and he's given it to me. I'm sort of going, okay, wow. that's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. But then one of his assistants came up to me afterwards and he sort of said, well, what he didn't tell you was that the, the, the fir was 100 years old, but the oak that it was made out of was 300 years old. So it's like a 400-year-old piece of wood with a screw in it. That um, and I, I'd, You win, Matty. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. I don't need to say anymore. So, you, so you, haven't, you have to ask him for one because apparently Pete, Pete Mitchum's very upset that I got one and he didn't. But uh, um, I was able to teach Rudy a little bit of Australian because when he gave it to me and told me the story, I said, well, Rudy, we've got a saying in Australia, this is going straight to the pool room. Um, <laughs> Uh, hopefully, oh. hopefully that survived the translation. But anyway, uh, so so based on Rodenbach, which is a yeah, so you know, very obviously you know a, a deep ruby red colour. Uh, hopefully, I don't want to put words into your mouths, but hopefully, when you're actually smelling that, you're getting some pretty complex sourness. Uh, there are some really interesting um, grains in there as well. I mean, some people have described them as you know a little bit. Uh, Christmas cake like but the you know the caramunics that we add in there the carareds and the melon ornaments give a really distinct uh, aromatic to give us that color I mean to give us that color we actually have to use specific grains um, to create that really nice red character is that like specific ale specific ale <laughs> yeah, it's, it's taken you an hour to get that out man <laughs> usually it's much quicker <laughs> no but um then on the palate, you know, again, it's there's a real delicateness, I think, to that beer. Slightly sour. I mean, it's only been in barrels. Uh, this has only been in barrels for just under a year. Let's call it 12 months, really. Now 12 months. Um, now what, what barrels for this one? Okay. So these were stored in barrels that are 40, 50, 60-year-old barrels from Seppeltsfield in uh, the Barossa. Uh, I was gifted these particular barrels by a very good mate of mine uh, who uh, works for Seppeltz. Uh They were not having a need for them. I heard about it and I just jumped on these things. Uh, so, yeah, pretty, pretty cool barrels. They're, they're exactly the same barrel, just to tie, tie it all together. Uh, this, this year or last year, we celebrated our 10 years of stone and wood. We, we put this beer in these barrels for 10% alcohol for 10 months at 10%. Uh, as soon as we pulled that beer out, 
of the Stone and Wood uh, our X. Some of you guys might have seen the the X, the ten percent beer. As soon as we pulled that out, this beer went in those barrels. So it's a nice little joining of the dots. Uh, 40, 56-year-old uh, Sebbotsfield uh, fortified barrels. There's some muskets, there's some tokays, and then some ports. Uh, we, we, we don't know, to be honest, we don't know which one is which. I mean, you can have a bit of a guess. I think the port ones are really quite distinct in the so brewery. You, you, you're not blending uh, across? There's... No, no, they're just, there's just 20 barrels sitting there because we were given them mm-hmm. uh, and we don't know... This one was Tokay, that one was... Because yeah. they all look the same, the yeah. way the way that they uh, have worked their program for the last... But you're blending years. the beer that comes out of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we'll okay. brew that beer, this beer, into those barrels. Um, where's Geordie? So I can tell a story now, Geordie. So we brew that beer into these barrels. You know, and honestly, I was in there every month or two just tasting this beer just to sort of really get an understanding of how this was going. This was the first time me as a brewer in nearly 30 years had ever... Really had a crack at this style of beer, and yeah, it was pretty, pretty fun. Making sure that you're reading as many uh, books as you can, talking to as many people as you can, having Rudy and uh, you know, having spent so much time with Rudy and Rodenback was kind of cool. Uh, getting this uh, beer into these barrels, tasting it so often, it got to a point where we thought it was ready. So about ten or twelve of us just from across the brewery jumped in and had a bit of a taste. We selected about six or seven barrels and went, right, let's just keep an eye on these particular barrels. And then we went back to them, the same, just those barrels the next month. And then about uh, about two months ago, went back to these same barrels, went, right, let's concentrate on these three barrels. And then we pulled that beer out about a month ago. We bottled, we, we pulled, we emptied the barrels uh, pull those uh, three blends together. This is after doing, sorry, after doing a whole bunch of bench tastes, you know, where we pull a little bit out, you know, we're going to add this much of this, this much of this, this much of it. But at the end of the day, we just added the, pretty much the beer in there. We had a little bit left over, which went back into the brewery, into the barrels, put this beer together. Uh, we then put it into a bright beer tank, a, a, a tank in the brewery where we bottle from, uh, which pretty much ties that tank up for about seven or eight days. Who are the brewers in the room? So we actually don't... Uh, we, hand up. we actually just use top pressure in these tanks. I don't put a stone through this beer at all, just to carbonate, just, just to get that effervescence through there. Uh, I think if you put a stone in the bottom, we do that with the, the same process with the barrel-aged saison as well. I think if you actually stone it, you just lose so much aromatic out of the tank so we actually just use top pressure we keep it cold for a week the carbon dioxide the co2 dissolves beautifully in that cold tank over about six or seven days to get to that point there and we keep all of that really cool aromatic and i think if you go to the time and effort to put a beer in a barrel for 12 months you want to try and keep all that aromatic in the in the beer as you can um but i think for me personally probably Probably the hardest beer and the beer that I've probably worried about the most in the last little while. Uh, but pretty cool to see it, you know, sitting around. It's really nice to see the different reds, you know, around the table. But if, if you would have said to me, you know, 18 months ago, hey, look, why don't you go away and uh, brew this, you know, barrel-aged red beer? God, if someone would have put that in front of me, I would have just gone, yep, done. So I'm pretty happy with where that is and knowing the process that we went through. And it was really tough. You know, I love doing this, and you know, sit over these barrels. You know, with a with a with a you know cool group of guys from the brewery that I respect their palates as well. 
And again, you know, as we mentioned before, it's about, you know, bringing people along for the ride. And I really respect and trust a lot of guys' palates in our brewery. Hey, what do you think about this? And I, I actively try and get the guys to talk it up. So, sorry, to talk to it. Or talk it up if you want. But, but just talk to the beer. You know, what do you think about this barrel? What do you think about that? And the really cool thing, you know, at the end was really sitting there and working out, you know, what do you think about that particular barrel, that barrel and that barrel? And how do you think that will actually come together and that was a really fun process you know i'd never really done that before you know with uh with with barrel aged beers and none of the group that we were playing with in the brewery had done that sort of thing we'd all drunk you know enormous amount of beer around the place we start our meetings you know by cracking bottles uh you know uh trying to understand what different beer and different styles of beer is all about so we make sure that we taste a lot of beer but that was pretty cool putting this together it's an odd thing to say about a beer that is so complex but it's very clean for for um, some of the styles, and it's very nuanced. You, and, you, and you can taste that nuance where there are yep. versions yeah. that are much more sour or much more in your face. Mm. This is something that's very very subtle. We wanted to, we wanted it to be clean. We didn't want you know a whole bunch of uh, wildness just to mm. take over. There is some pretty cool wildness in there, mm. but I wanted to make sure that that sourness was as delicate and in tune with this beer as we could. I mean, there are a lot of beers out there that are a lot more sour than this. I mean, I'll definitely... There's a couple of barrels there at the brewery I'm just going to put to the side and just let them go nuts. Because already, since we've bottled this, some of the barrels have changed already. How do you control when you're using such old barrels? How do you control... The microbes, you know, the, the microbiome in the, in the so barrels. So we add, so we add, you know, the Rousselaire yeast. So you get your base ferment, you know, that goes through. Uh, on the second brew that we did, all we did was empty barrels, and we had other barrels sitting there, and we just filled them. We went along and actually dosed individual barrels. But and, and how, but how do you guarantee that there's nothing in there to you know infect the yeast beyond what you, what you want? Well, I suppose in a way, you know, these styles of beer. For the beer purist, they are infected anyway. So, what is the future of beers like this? Because, it, and and I, I I ask that because, having spoken about listening to young brewers, and I imagine um, that's where some of your uh, special releases uh, come from, like the maple. Uh, yep. a whole the, new genre of the counter counterculture beers. The, the, the counterculture beers, which, which are very much coming from that. Yep. But this is a beer that's really harking back to tradition um, and, and, and traditional yeah. beers. So I think uh, with the Saison, I mean, the barrel-aged Saison is not, not something you see every day. A beer like this, yeah, I mean, it's an old school or very old genre of beer, definitely. Um, I think that's just me being me because I wanted to make sure that I could, you know, get the base model done and then, and then you can springboard to anything. Mm. Uh, and I've got a whole bunch going on up here up here so i can't wait to actually keep playing just going back to the the, the forest for the trees um for, for those who don't know you, you i think two years ago you had a car accident you stepped back from the business um and stepped back in to to take this on are you still involved day to day in 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 the yeah, forest for the trees absolutely. business? absolutely i mean you know we've got an amazing team in there uh you know it's 150 people we've got benny as ceo now I mean, Richie running production. You've got Keelan as head brewer. 
you know, and there's a myriad of fantastic people, you know, working in the brewery, you know, both in Byron uh, and in Mwilambar. We've now got Brisbane. Uh, we've got uh, the Fixation Brewery. And the guys across all these breweries are doing such a good job. And, you know, you want to give people a bit of space as well. I mean, I'm in there as much as we need to be. Big Forest for the Trees is your little... Oh, baby, no one gets it? in the way of that. That's mine. Uh, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> which is what I was talking about. So you are yeah. very hands-on. Oh, yeah, sorry. And, and, and so in terms of Forest for the Trees, yeah, we get in, we brew. Uh, you know, it's all, I've got to admit... We actually brewed, uh, sorry, bottled the next uh, saison today, and I couldn't be there because I had to come up and have a Thank fine chat much. with you. But uh, yeah, I'm in there, you know, uh, nearly everyone. We did the road to Munich, and I couldn't be there for those brews and that particular bottling. But things like this, the barrel aged saison, I want to be. You know, Are you dead carrying, carrying the bags of malt up onto the brew deck, I or am. Do, do you get Neil to do that for you? <laughs> <laughs> you could just see Neil and I walking up together. But no, no, we're doing it. You know, together, uh, it's just great fun. I mean, we have the luxury uh, to be able to make sure we get up and actually have some fun in there. Do you still? So your brewing career has been twenty five years. Um, but yeah. shit. Could, could, well, you, you you did oniology. Is that how you pronounce it? Oniology. Uh, oniology. Yeah, studied winemaking. Study, studied studied winemaking because yeah. that was the only course that was available. Couldn't study brewing when I was studying. I actually grew up here in Brizzy. Went to Griffith Uni. Got thrown out, but we're not going to go into the that. Corner, um, <laughs> lived at Speedy Street, just up here. Then lived up the road from the Paddington Tavern. That was another story. Let's just let's just say that house didn't have a front door or a back door. There was no power. Our kitchen consisted of a barbecue and a gas bottle. Can we you had lots of fun. Cafe Neon's a gym these days. No, I cannot. <laughs> I cannot. But yeah, when you know went off and did what we've done, it's yep. been great fun. But do you still get the same passion out of? the art of brewing out of the day-to-day -day, yep. as you always did? Absolutely. Yeah, no, hand on heart stuff again, Manny. I, I love it. I mean, that's what we do. What's next? We've, we've had a Saison, barrel-aged Saison. Mm -hmm. We've got the, the, this lovely barrel-aged red. What's next in, in, in the schedule? Yeah. I, I know we've you've got, got a, a lot few of plans. I couldn't possibly tell you, but we've definitely got a few plans. That, you What's know, just, in barrels just now? Oh, okay. There's, <laughs> other than the, the Chardonnay, jeez. Other than the Saison and the Red, there's nothing else in barrel that's really going to yeah. see the light of day. You know, we're playing around with a few different things, just tinkering. Uh, we, we may come out, you know, with something, um, you know, early next year, just just to make sure that it sits next to those first three. But when you think about, you know, what we've been able to do under that, you know, under that umbrella of fermentum. You know, I don't think you'll see porters and stouts coming out under forest for the trees anytime, you know, in the next little while because there's a whole bunch of other beers, you know, to be able to do. Just think of farmyard, farmhouse, you know, barrel, uh, you know, that mixed ferment, wild ferment, just different. Um, I don't think at the moment uh, under that particular, you know, brand, under, under forest for the trees, I don't think porters and stouts really fit into that. Think more along the lines of maybe, you know, bells and double, a bells and triple. But that, you know, that could be way down the track, you know. I, I think there's other, there's other opportunities for those styles of beers to really do uh, well in our little group. I know Kiel's, uh, you know, has got some really cool things on the boil, you know, back, uh, back in Byron with those styles of beers. Yeah. I'll tell you a very, very cool story, you know. So we've launched on the 28th of November 2008. Roscoe, Jamie and I were in the rails, the northern 
uh, and Banglo and Byron. And I've literally taken the beer, you know, to those pubs that day in the back of my patrol. There was only nine kegs. We only put two in each, three in each of them, whatever it was. That morning, I've transferred the, the beer into the Bright Beard tank. We didn't have any equipment. You know, the lab consisted of a little tub with a hydrometer and a thermometer in there and my palate. So you sit there and you've got the beer into the, you know, into the Bright Beard tank and you've tested it. You've hoped you've got the carbonation right. You're tasting it. Yep, that tastes pretty good because we didn't have a CO2 monitor machine at all. So I racked a couple of kegs. I pulled a couple of kegs out of the tank and drove them into the rails into town because I just wanted to see what the beer looked like on tap. I said to Tom, I needed a pub, sorry, I needed a line to actually run this beer through. And I just poured this beer and I was like, oh, beauty. Went back, you know, and put another 27 kegs together and then delivered those beers, you know, that afternoon. So we got that beer out. That was a kind of pretty cool story. But it wasn't as cool as Roscoe and I sitting in the, you know, in this little office that we literally built ourselves in Byron. And we couldn't quite reconcile you know the bank because you know money was this way and money and we just couldn't add it up then all of a sudden we worked out oh shit people are paying us (laughs) (laughs) who'd have thought it was just one of those moments you know and then it was pain you know there was a lot of pain everyone looks at it now going ah whatever you know those guys easy street but god you know roscoe and i tell a great story you know we're out there and I've brewed all day, you know, half the night probably. Got there and Roscoe's come in and he's on the road selling Pacific Ale. Mate, how'd you go today? Oh, yeah, pretty good. I sold one. Oh, cool. What? Truckload? Pallet? No, one keg. And I just went, oh. It was just, you know, but it was such beautiful stories. Probably more so for us. But, yeah, I mean, it was bloody tough out there. I mean, it's tough out there now. It was just equally as tough you know back in the day i mean we're not that old it's only 10 years but in terms of that moment where i was yeah i mean pretty cool to actually sit in a pub i was in the rails this one day and after we'd launched and you know the beer was sitting there i just used to go in and i would drink pacific ale for sure and you sit there and then just random people would come up you know five people up sit at the bar and order a Pacific Ale, and you'd sort of slyly watch their face and was like, oh, wow. And then they'd order another one. That was always the trick, to see if they'd order another one. And Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's drop-dead moments, but yeah. Do you remember got the a first few. time you saw somebody you didn't know wearing a stone and wood shirt? Down the street, you know, just sort of... We had this shirt that was a black shirt, you know, water malt, hops and yeast, and I saw it at Heathrow. I went up to this guy. Actually, I was actually with my kids. My, one of my sons uh, saw it. I just went up to this guy and I just had to shake his hand, say thanks. You know, that was kind of pretty cool. No, and, and I didn't know that, but I was wondering because I remember in the early days of being a beer writer when suddenly you started seeing, instead of beer a Bintang t-shirt, you'd just suddenly see like a Burley Brewing or a Stone and Wood shirt just out in the wild. And you sort of think, gee, this is starting to take off it's a thing yeah it is and i was just wondering whether that was something because it, it, it's a little bit even less controlled so we might than... see a forest with a tree shirt out there one day well <laughs> as, as... I, I noticed that you I've, I've got more merch than you have at the moment Probably. but this year or going forward 2020 it's going to be the year of the forest okay. might even get a shirt for you <laughs> I'll, I'll give it away because that's what I do. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm going to charge you for it now. <laughs> so, uh, 2020 is the year of the forest. Um, you, you, you've tipped your hand now. What, what have you got planned? 
What, do we need any more? Hang on. Well, no. It's Got all three. That's enough. <laughs> How often can you bring out a, a, a red ale, a barrel aged red like this? The red guy is probably the hardest thing. So, you know, finding those barrels is, you know, pretty hard. We're actually going to have to backtrack and find other barrels. Can you uh, use them twice? Or oh, they shit, have, yeah. Okay. They're already 60 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but you know? that's the thing. So you, you, you're not taking the flavour out of them. It's, it's the oak no. rather than... Yeah, I'm sure they've got many, many brews to go. Well, Brad Rogers, thank you very much for, for, for this uh, very casual chat. Uh, th- thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to my beer dealer for hosting us. And uh, we do look yeah. forward to uh, 2020 being the year Hang of on. the forest. Yeah. 2020, the year of the forest. forest. I'm going to get shirts. In, in, in fact, I'm going to trademark that tomorrow. <laughs> anyway, no, thank you. Thanks, you guys, Brad. You guys probably had a whole bunch of really cool things you could have done this afternoon, so thanks for coming and Can having anyone a beer with anything us. cooler than sitting having these beers? So, thank you. And that was Brad Rogers. If you get the chance, make sure you track down a bottle of the barrel-aged red ale. If you love Rodenbach, this beer shows what is possible locally. It is a genuinely wonderful beer that I hope we get to see expand in volume to become a staple that we can get all of the time. Finally, thank you to you, our listeners. I hope you all have wonderful holidays, and we hope you'll join us in 2020. We have some really exciting things planned for you. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener, And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover, because beer is a conversation.